Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to this place, and we thank you uh, that you have called us to be your uh, body, to be the bride of Christ, uh, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So, Lord, uh, equip us and strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's been a lot of conversation uh, in the past several weeks about uh, the changes in the service, both liturgically as well as the format of the bulletin, and uh, also the calling of, of Zach Hicks. Uh, let me just say that it's a little bit unfortunate that of the timing of the two. Um, some people have thought that it meant that we're, uh, we're going Presbyterian. Uh, and uh, I've even heard some people are going to make red hats that say, make the Advent great again. Um, so um, uh, that, that may be the case. Uh, but I just want to, I want to, I want us to have a, uh, a, a quick conversation. I'm only going to talk about 10 to 15 minutes. And then I want to give you the opportunity uh, to ask questions, to say, or even say something. Uh, that's, that's normally what it is anyway. And so, uh, so let's start. All right, so uh, one of the things that we found uh, here at the Advent, let's first talk um, about the changes, and then we'll talk about the bulletin. So one of the things that we found at the Advent is the Advent has a very particular vibe about it. It's got a particular ethos, and you know that that's true if you've been to any other church in the world. And there really is no place uh, like the Advent. Uh, and in many ways, uh, we wanted our church, uh, our liturgy in our church, uh, to reflect uh, our theology and our ethos. And so uh, I've been in conversation with Bishop Sloan, and, and he's given this his full uh, endorsement. Uh, and really, the changes are not very big, and yet theologically, there is some significance to them. So one of the things that you might notice is that our communion prayer has been shortened. Have you noticed that? Um, let me just be honest. One of the things about the Advent, uh, we have a, a couple little sayings around here. One of them is reverent alacrity. It means hurry up uh, because we are in a time crunch. So I do want to admit that that was part of it. Uh, but the prayer that uh, we use now is right there. And this is the prayer used in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Right? So we're not deviating from anything. This is the communion prayer prayed by most Anglicans around the world today. It just is. So that's what it is now. But there, it, the old prayer that we use continues with this. Wherefore, O Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we thy humble servants most humbly beseech thee to hear us. We earnestly desire thy fatherly goodness mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Um, here we offer and present unto thee ourselves, our souls and bodies, and although we are unworthy uh, through our manifold sins, don't weigh our merits, but pardon our offenses. World without end. Amen. Well, in the 1662 and in most prayer books around the communion, that part of the service is actually a post-communion prayer, which is what we've moved it to. Now, this doesn't mean that this prayer is out. So for Lent, we're doing the, the previous one, this one, but then after Lent, we'll go back to the Almighty and ever-living ever God, we most heartily thank Thee, the one that you're used to. Now, the reason why this, why Cranmer put this at the end of the service and not in the midst of the communion service is because is communion primarily about what God offers to us or is it about what we primarily offer to God? It's what God offers to us, right? And so it actually takes away, if you in the midst of the service say, 
well, God, we thank you for your cross and your resurrection, uh, but we also want you to know that we got a little bit to, to offer you. Uh, but instead, what happens is that we're fed in the communion, and then this is our response, right? Because of what Jesus has done for us. After we've come together as, a body, as the body of Christ, this is what we pray together, that now that we have been fed, uh, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice uh, to you, um, uh, and uh, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses. So, but this one, will be, you get two options in the old prayer book. This is the other one, uh, and we will uh, pick back that back up um, after Lent, which never ends. Okay, uh, some changes to morning prayer. Uh, it was so funny. Uh, I'm sure she's here this morning, but uh, a lady in the congregation excitedly came up to me and said, we're miserable offenders again. Um, and... Um, well, I assure you, so we've gone back to the old, old confession that has, and there is no health in us, and uh, we've added uh, miserable offenders. Why? This is not meant, I said it this morning in the sermon at 9 o'clock, it's not a derogatory word, right? It's not saying y'all are a bunch of miserable offenders, and there's no health in you. Uh, it's, an, uh, it's a self-observation of the reality. Uh, if you're praying this prayer, I mean, if you're praying the one in the communion service, which is what? The burden of our sins is intolerable to us. If you know the weightiness of sin, it makes you miserable, right? I'm miserable, but spare God those who confess their faults. Restore us who are penitent according to the promises that you have declared unto us through Jesus Christ. And grant that we might live a godly, righteous, and sober life uh, for our good, but above all, for your great glory. And so those uh, phrases have come in because, you know, whether we say it or not, this is what we believe around here, right? So uh, that uh, prayer has been restored. This is the old absolution and morning prayer. Uh, it's, uh, again, this is where the, the, um, the rules of the Advent get into tension. It's shorter. Uh, but this is the older one. Uh, this is the, the one that we're using now from the old prayer book, which is uh, a much fuller thing. Uh, we can interact, I'm fine with that, uh, but uh, this is much more detailed in what exactly is going on at that moment. Uh, when the priest stands in front of you and pronounces absolution, are you forgiven because the priest says something, or are you forgiven because of Jesus Christ? You're forgiven because of Jesus Christ, and this uh, details that. Uh, and yet he has given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce, to give you the good news that those being penitent, that your sins have been remitted and absolved, and you've been pardoned. Believe his gospel. Believe the good news. So really, those are actually the only changes that have been made uh, to the service. We've put it into a new booklet format, and um, uh, some people have had a hard time with that. One person said, it looks expensive. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> good, because it is. Um, if it looked cheap, we're getting ripped off. Uh, and so, uh, but one of the things, look, if you're part of the tribe, if you're part of the tribe of the Advent, not even if you grew up in the Episcopal Church, because I have people who grew up in the Episcopal Church that come, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and the first, I had to sit and watch for two months before I felt comfortable enough to lead worship, and Frank wouldn't let me. Why? Because we do things very differently here when it comes to how we worship. So, we were getting more and more folks not knowing, you know, do I stand up, do I sit down? And, uh, and so we've put it all into one bulletin format. Now, that has gotten some people thinking we're getting away from the prayer book. 
But if you've listened to anything that I've just said, we're actually closer to the prayer book than we've ever been at the Advent. And actually what this bulletin does is it safeguards us uh, because there is the reality that there are going to be changes to the prayer book uh, that's already in motion in our church. And uh, doing things the way that we're doing them now, by Bishop Sloan's permission, allows us to maintain our integrity and identity as the Advent. Okay. So, all of this happens. Meanwhile, we're talking to Zach Hicks about something. And he goes from being a consultant to a candidate for a position. Uh, I am as surprised as many of you are. Uh, simply because that is not something that uh, I expected to happen. One, I didn't think Zach would be interested in coming to the Advent. Uh, two, uh, I just didn't think that it would happen. Is that the sound? Pacemaker, okay. All right, so, uh, you know, nor did I think that it would, that it would happen. Uh, but one of the things that is very unique about the Advent is that, yes, Zach is ordained in the Presbyterian Church. That's, that's a reality. Uh, but do you understand that he's more comfortable here at the Advent than he is in the Presbyterian Church? That's why he's coming here. And in fact, when Tully and Chavidjan, and this is true of a number of churches throughout the United States, uh, when he was the pastor at Coral Ridge Presbyterian, uh, he would say that I have more in common with the Advent than the people in my own denomination. And I think that we would have said we have more in common with Coral Ridge than we do with the people in our own denomination. That's not a conservative liberal thing. That's just... Uh, a theology thing, uh, with the way that we worship, uh, the, the thrust uh, behind our worship. Uh, Zach uh, is, uh, has a music background. I think that if Zach had a bachelor's in chemical engineering, nobody would feel threatened by him. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is he has a bachelor's in music with an emphasis in voice. Uh, he's ordained, but he's been uh, the director of music at two very large congregations, one in Colorado and one in Florida. And, um, but here, he's not going to be the music guy who happens to be ordained. He's the ordained guy who happens to have a background in music. Right? Uh, Zach is currently working on a doctorate in the theology and worship of the English Reformation. Uh, and he's, he's our guy. I mean, he is passionate about liturgy. He's classically trained. Um, if uh, you get on his website, uh, Coral Ridge is a very different place than us in the way that they worship. One, it's in Miami, right? And it just looks Miami. Uh, and even Zach would tell you there's an emphasis and premium put on production. And, uh, and yet uh, what Zach uh, has articulated to us is his willingness to be adaptable. And so when he's come and he's worshiped here, he's not said, oh, you know, what a, what a terrible, formal place. But that's one of the things that excites him, is the identity of the Advent and who we are. And so Zach's coming here is not an assault uh, on our identity or worship style. In fact, I fully expect Zach uh, to deepen that and to strengthen that. Okay. And, that, and, that, and his calling comes at the permission of Key Sloan. So uh, we, we went through all of that stuff. Okay. Well, I went just over 10 minutes. Now let's talk. Catherine Pittman-Smith. How did you convince Key Sloan to approve this? Have you ever heard of a Mickey? I'd never heard of a Mickey. <laughs> and um, no, uh, no. Uh, so um, I, I mean, the thing about it is, is that, let me just say this about Keystone. He is incredibly generous, and he understands that the Advent is a strange beast. And there were some things that, 
that he would, you know, like us to change around here. Uh, nothing actually extreme, but, you know, I think it throws him off a little bit, just being a right one parish. Um, but he trusts us, and we trust him, and he understood our needs, and, uh, and he gave it his full blessing. I think he was, I think he gets it, and that he's kind of, you know, he's not thinking, why would you want to call a Presbyterian? He's sort of amazed, like, why would you want to come into our church? I mean, he's really, it's, it's a, a little bit of a coup. So where we're thinking, you know, this Presbyterian guy, everybody else in the church is looking at us being like, do you realize what you just pulled off? I mean, he's a pretty significant player in the uh, life of the church. Brian. So with Zach being Presbyterian and everything, will he be able to celebrate all of the uh, communion and all the rest of the sacraments that we celebrate here in the Episcopal Church? Yeah, no, he won't. That will be the only thing he'd be restricted from doing. Um, but, I, you know, that's really up to key. I mean, by canon, he's really not supposed to do it, but in certain circumstances you can. Uh, but we just want to be above board. So, I mean, he's fully ordained, and he'll be marrying, bearing, baptizing, uh, but until we get it sorted out with key, that would be the one. Uh, and, of course, this is that's a ridiculous thing, but it's a canonical requirement, and so we have to jump through the hoops on that. Uh, the hoops would be just to get key to license him. I mean, this is actually, the idea kind of came about, do you know uh, there's a, another cathedral in the Episcopal Church, the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., who has a Methodist minister on staff, and she's their canon for liturgy. Uh, and so I actually had a long conversation with her about how it worked. And, uh, and she said that she was a whole lot more prepared for them than they were for her, meaning that um, anytime she did something that the institutional folks didn't like, they said, well, it's because she's a Methodist. And then she would show them that it was in the prayer book. <laughs> Dr. Sharp. What about uh, marriage, burial, baptism? Will there be any changes in those liturgies as well? Or No, we've abbreviated the, the baptismal liturgy um, a little bit simply because of one is time and two. Um, I'm just going to be public about this. Uh, it's a semi-Pelagian liturgy. Um, so, is, again, is, are the sacraments about what God has done for us or is it about what we're doing for God? And so... You know, I, I believe in all those things. I believe in respecting the dignity of every person and for striving for justice. And I mean, the General Convention just added something about caring for God's creation and recycling as part of the baptismal covenant. Um, and I'm for all those things. I, I yell at my neighbor, where's Oscar Price? I yell at him because he doesn't recycle. Um, and so he's, he's failing in his commitment as a Christian. Um, I mean, I joke about it, but you see, and I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's, it's, it's in the wrong place. It's a, we ought to teach those things, and they ought to be part of our Christian life, but they have no place in baptism. And even the answer that we give, I will with God's help, as if, you know, I'll try, and then God helps me out a little bit. If we're going to answer it, we should just say yes, or nope, not going to do that one. You know, it's just, I mean, so, but you, you won't see any, uh, any other changes. There, I mean, we may do something small, like the Gloria Patri, you know, we might go back to glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost at 11 for the summer, but, um, but nothing of, of any significant. I've, I've pulled the Band-Aid off already, so you don't have to worry about that. Is that Mary Bradley? Okay, so I think you addressed this already, but I can't remember. So is this Joe Gibbs' official replacement? And yeah, Joe, yeah. So it's a little bit like when I came on board, um, Heidi, Heidi's leaving, 
created a space for me to come on board. And I wasn't particularly flattered when Frank announced that, well, we couldn't find a woman, but we found a guy as close to a woman as we could get. <laughs> and, um, and so, I, I mean, I, I did. Some of you know this. I mean, I, I did the ladies' Bible study for over a year, uh, several of them throughout the week. Just that, So Frank kept referring to me as the ladies' canon. And... Um, <laughs> So, uh, but I didn't take on her vice dean responsibilities or anything like that. And so that position morphed. And in the same way that what we found with Joe's position was Joe, uh, Joe did a really good job. And when he went out to Holy Cross Trustful, we realized that a great bulk of his job, which was Christian education, was self-sufficient. I mean, so his supervision of Cameron and Elizabeth and Becky in the nursery or then it was Leslie, um, uh, they know what they're doing. And so that is more pastoral, it's more of an advocate, it's more of a, you know, what can I do for you, uh, than it is any sort of supervisory capacity. I mean, Joe didn't involve himself in the day-to-day -day workings of the youth ministry or anything else. Uh, he, he left that to them. And so uh, that is a position that really isn't necessary. We've given... Uh, Cameron, the, uh, the position of director of family ministry or something like that, um, uh, the name is escaping me right now, and, um, and so he is helping to make sure that there's a comprehensiveness from the cradle to toddler to kids to youth, right, so that there's a common thread running through all of those. So that work did need to be done, and, and I, when we did that, I did say that, Cameron, that's fine, and I think that you'd, you'd be very good at this, but it can't come at the expense of the youth ministry, and it can't mean less time hanging out with the high schoolers, and we haven't seen that. Uh, and, and Cameron's honest enough to say, if, if it does get to that point, he'll cry uncle, and we'll sort that out before it gets to that point. When are you getting your doctorate? What? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm too busy dealing with medicine at home. I can't. I'm not, you know, doctorate at home. Holly. I'm yes. sorry. David, got to get the microphone. Um, as the canon for worship and liturgy, what are you hoping that Zach can bring to the 9 and 11 o'clock services? I would say a breadth, but I can tell you right now that nothing is going to happen to change the integrity of the 9 or the 11 o'clock services. So you're not going to see me in there in Lauren's jeans with gel in my hair playing a guitar. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Um, some of you may want that to happen, um, but it's just not, uh, because we can't get, that would be faking it. That's not who the Advent is. And so I would say that Zach's job is primarily to be a resource more than anything. So he doesn't have any supervisory capacity over the music department or the 9 or the 11 o'clock services. Those, by canon, are, are my responsibility. So the buck stops with me. Um, but what um, I would say, I mean, that job is not a very glamorous job to me. So Deborah has taken up the lion's share of that, and I'm very grateful. But it means scheduling celebrants. It means helping coordinate any big diocesan services. So next month on May 14th, God willing, we'll be ordaining Trey Kennedy. Uh, somebody's got to Sherpa that. Somebody's got to manage that. Also with the printing of bulletins, things like that, somebody has to have their eyes on it. And somebody basically needs to be a guard dog to make sure that we don't get beyond uh, the lines that we've driven as the advent. So you're not going to see any changes um, affecting the feel of the 11 o'clock 
uh, or the nine o'clock. And I realize that's a, that's a big deal. So uh, I think it's interesting. We when we had um, our new vestry members elected, um, almost half of the new class. Do you know, when we went around, we asked them what their favorite hymn is and their favorite Bible verse, which you learn a lot about people. And you know what? Almost half of them said their favorite hymn was? The first song of Isaiah, Surely it is God who saves me. Now, if you played that at 11, I'd get shot. I mean, I really would. I mean, people just don't want to, they don't, they don't like it at 11. And so, uh, so any, anything like that would be, I think, perceived as a, as a radical change. And the 11 o'clock has its own ethos and feel. The nine o'clock. I mean, if, if you don't like kids, don't go to the nine o'clock. Um, um, and if you want to get, you know, I mean, the seven. I mean, we've, you know, people worry about different congregations because one of the things, Holly, that we talked about in the announcement, is we are looking at the possibility of starting an eleven o'clock service not in the church uh, but elsewhere. That is, I hate to use the word contemporary, uh, but uh, contemporary for the Advent would be wearing a button-down khakis and a blue blazer. Right, that would be, that would be, um, that would be contemporary. It would still feel like the Advent. It would still, um, you know, we're not going to get away with and with Thy Spirit. We're going to stick with the liturgy. Uh, it would just feel a little bit, a little bit different. And the reasons behind that are, one, um, there's a, a pastoral consideration that there are a number of people here at the Advent already that actually want something like that. Uh, now I know you say we have one at five. Uh, but five o'clock is not really ideal for, for all people. Uh, but the other is there is an evangelism component of uh, it will, um, I think, just naturally cause uh, the Advent to have a greater exposure to our community with more people coming in. What is the time? Zach is uh, first day on the job is June 1st. He's got, um, when Zach actually came to speak with Bishop... Um, uh, actually, when he came for the Lenten preaching series, he had um, he was asked to do uh, a couple lectures over at Samford. Uh, so he's recognized as, as a pretty big deal. Uh, but so he does have some academic commitments over the summer to fulfill, and he's going to go on vacation with the family. But it'll be on the payroll June first, and we'll let him get acclimated for a month or two before we make him do anything. I mean, he'll be working, but you know things like leading worship or preaching. Now, the first Sunday, my first Sunday here was All Saints Sunday. Frank was in Clemson at a football game, and he had me preach. I'd been here for three days. And he said, he said I know it's probably too much of a burden for you. I'm like, what am I supposed to say? I, mean, I just started. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> no. Hi. Uh, I was a little confused. We went through that real fast. Uh, but is, is there much or any tension between the greater Episcopal Anglican Church and the way we do stuff at Advent. I mean, I'm still... No, 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 I, it's just I, different. You know, I'm, I'm still a little, you know, a, my brain kind of goes, oh, when they say, when we say living in the dead instead of quick in the dead, because you know, yes. that's the way I grew up. You know, yeah, but, no, that doesn't cause any tension. It just makes them look at, them, look at us like a dog looking at a clock. I mean, it just, they don't know exactly what to make of us. I mean, there was a young guy who grew up in Pell City, and he started coming to my Monday night Bible study, and then he and then his family started to actually drive in from uh, Pell City to attend worship here. And he finally came to me one day. He's like, I'm just amazed. I just never knew that the Advent was like this. And I said, well, what did you mean? He goes, well, I just, I just thought it was, you know, like a thousand old people uh, doing old people things. And I was like, what, what in the world? Uh, and, and so, I mean, I think that there's, 
I mean, look, we don't make sense to anybody. We're a downtown church with no parking. Uh, we, we're a right one parish. We're a morning prayer parish. Like if you were in seminary right now, they would use us as the model of what not to do, right? If you want to destroy a church, be like this. And yet God in His mercy uh, has blessed us, and uh, we're one of the largest churches in our denomination. So I think that it's just, it's just we're, we're, we're different, and we even do ministry differently. Um, I think that the ministry model for most of the Episcopal Church is a chaplaincy model, like trying to get as many Episcopalians as you can get to come to your church, um, rather than actually a gospel-driven model of getting the gospel out there. So, I mean, part of this too, even the booklet that we do, you know, we've got these little hearts for our congregation that we're a church with a heart uh, for the gospel, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're a church that has a heart for those who haven't heard the gospel. We're a church that has a heart uh, for those who have been burned by the church. And we have a heart for the city of Birmingham. And so part of the new format in the Bolton is, is an act of hospitality. You know, someone came up to me and they said, you know, I've, you know, that last prayer we do at communion, that gets a little bit complicated and I have a hard time. I said, well, now you feel like a newcomer. Congratulations. Welcome. You know, I mean, uh, think of how someone who hasn't been at the Advent feels when they come to our services. And this booklet really helps with that. Now, what I will say that the Episcopal Church, you know, you go to any large Episcopal Church today and they've already been doing bulletins, but they've been using them to do kind of fun things with their liturgy. And we're doing the opposite. We're not going that way as much as we are going that way. Mr. Lucas. Some people equate a lack of reference to Episcopalian in the bulletin. Mm -hmm. Personally, I would, it may not have been that way for 20 years, and I never would have noticed, but right. there's been some question about that, so I was curious. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's, it's not intentional. I mean, our sign out front, Episcopal, and, and all of you here know that we're an Episcopal church. Um, as I've said, I, we've never had a better relationship with Carpenter House in many, many years. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of it has to do, frankly, with formatting. You know, our, if you remember the old purple sheet, the masthead was getting crazy. And so just to be able to fit our staff in, we, we cut the bishops who used to be in the masthead. And then we've even gone so far as to cut the degrees after the names simply because we want to be able to fit people in so that people can read the bullet and say, oh, Cameron Cole's the director of youth ministries, or oh, Deborah Layton is the canon for women's ministry, that it's meant to convey information. There's, there's nothing sort of conspiratorial about it. Um, we are bringing, but it's, it's also an alpha. I mean, we're going to have a beta. So one of the things that we've cut that we are going to try to bring back is our council of uh, senior wardens emeriti, uh, just because I want to spread the blame around, and I think you should complain to them. <laughs> and um, and so, so that'll be coming back, things like that. So we, we, we want feedback. If you, if you think, like, I really just would like the word Episcopal somewhere, that's something we would take into consideration. Andrew, Steve Tillman. Uh, Andrew, you made the comment that uh, Zach was going to stay a Presbyterian, but over the years we've always, we've seen a number, and I think uh, Adam Young has been a Presbyterian but is in the process of becoming Episcopalian. The theology of the two churches, the Presbyterian and the Anglican, are different. So if Zach feels comfortable with us, it seems to be a little bit of a disconnect. 
Yeah, what I would say is that I don't want to put words, but Zach and I have actually had that conversation. I mean, that was something we did in the interview process. And Zach, you know, um, understands that. But theologically, I assure you, he is where we are. And so when, you know, someone says, well, it feels like we're becoming Presbyterian, I normally ask, well, what does that mean? And they can't tell me. Um, I think what people are saying is that we just want to make sure the Advent stays the Advent. And I can assure you that, 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 that is, that's going to happen. And so he would sign off on the articles without fail. He'd sign off on the prayer book and the ordinal he, without qualification. And so he's, he's our kind of guy. Um, clearly coming here, he's going to have to sacrifice his ecclesiastical prerogatives in the extent that you know, this is not a presbyteral form of government, um, the rector and the vestry. And he's, he's signed on for that as well. That's what I was going to say. Why don't you kind of explain or flesh out some of the things that he's going to have to leave behind or accept? Well, you know, I mean, I, what, Zach is, is very conscientious. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time for people who say, well, here's a guy who grew up in Hawaii and then went to college in California and then served in Colorado and Florida, you know, although his mom's from Gunnersville, and they live there now, by the way. Um, uh, praise so, the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, you know, Zach, Zach has a look about him that some people don't like and they feel threatened by. And I, that's just, frankly, that's ridiculous. Uh, and, uh, but Zach, somebody said, Zach has bought a lot of suits uh, recently uh, as, as he makes his way here. So Zach understands the kind of place that he's coming to serve, which is different than a Coral Ridge Presbyterian uh, church. Um, he is sacrificing, um, you know, some oversight in the sense of, uh, you know, he, the EPC is releasing him to serve him here, but that means he's, I mean, he's in some sense still, he's under key and he's under us. And so if it all goes south here, uh, there's no real recourse for him to appeal to the Presbyterians and say, can you send me a lifeline? Uh, so, um, but I think what he has to gain is greater than that, that he's actually going to be in a church um, that fits. I mean, he, Zach really is a, a fit, and it shows um, that our theology is a big leveling agent, uh, regardless of where you come from. Does that answer your question? I'll talk to you at home. <laughs> Along the lines of... Uh fitting in and, and, and not changing the, the presiding bishop and I guess the church at large is not in a repentant mode and so I assume the writing's on the wall when Lambeth reconvenes. Yeah, I don't know. And so uh, whatever happens, I, I guess my point, well, the Advent's not going to change. There, there might be lots of pressures. Yeah, the, I mean, in 20 years, I don't know wh where the Episcopal Church will be, but I know where the Advent will be. Um, and I'm not really worried about that because I think that we're in a good, uh, a good place. And there's no, you know, we're not getting any troops lined up for battle or sharpening any sabers. Um, we're just, we're going to be who we're going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I am a little bit worried about things like, um, you know, there's a diocese in the Sudan that just cut its relationship with the diocese of Indianapolis because of what the Episcopal Church has been up to. And, um, and I'm working really, really hard to make sure that we keep those communion-wide ties. Uh, going so far as going to, I'm going to Rwanda with Lauren this summer, and then I'm also going to be with some bishops in England 
at the end of the Sama. Andrew, you've you've brought on Doug Webster recently as yes. now Zach, Zach Hicks. Are there other other holes that we need to fill, or other 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 needs out there that um, you know as far as the church? Yeah, anyway. not you know Doug Doug comes on. Uh, you know, I think there's some confusion about Doug too. Uh, it also you know coincidentally he happens to be a Presbyterian, but he's a real one. And um, you know, I mean, the thing about Doug is he's, it's a, it's a part-time capacity. Doug, are you here? No, you're teaching. Okay. Um, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, Doug, um, you know, one of the whole, it's not a pastoral care position. Craig, that's a really nice jacket, Craig. Um, Craig has that well uh, under control. We do a remarkable job as a large congregation in the area of pastoral care. It's pretty amazing. And uh, Craig does a great job. So his role really is more of a discipleship working with guys who are either at the peaks of their career or getting ready to retire, whose kids have, you know, moved to Montana, never to be heard from again, you know, been there, done that kind of stuff. Because the bottom line is I'm self-aware enough to know, I mean, we're a young congregation, and it's good to have someone that they can connect with. That and Doug is a really well-respected preacher and teacher and educator. Um, Doug also uh, pastored First Presbyterian Church in San Diego, which is a large Presbyterian Church USA congregation. Uh, and they were a conservative congregation in the midst of a not-so-conservative denomination and uh, did a very good job of leading them through that. So, but when it comes to the other holes, um, I, I guess I would leave it to you all to tell me. I mean, we've, we've got irons in the fire, but one of the things that the staff and I have talked a lot about is that we don't need to build programs. We're not trying to build some sort of kingdom. What we need to do is build relationships with people, and so getting people to... Inv- our staff to invest in other people is of paramount importance. And so, you know, there's this lie that the church has peddled, not necessarily our church, but we fall into it sometimes, where, you know, we give you a hard time for being busy with your kids' activities, for being busy in your social life, for being busy at work, being busy, busy, busy. Why don't you just be busy at church? Uh, And we're not trying to create busy Christians. This ought to be a place and a haven of rest where you can actually bask in the gospel. And that's, so we're not... I'm not really interested in building programs. But getting the right people in the right spots is really important. I, I went once. Me? Adam? Andrew, Zach Hicks. Sorry. Zach's already been. But, I mean, will he be ordained in the Episcopal Church? Will he go to seminary? That's to be seen. Okay. He won't go to seminary. I promise you that. He's already been. I'm not going to make anybody bad again. <laughs> well, I know that... Um, Craig and uh, Gil are, I guess, doing continuing education. How important is that to you that, uh, aside from yourself, continue their education? And Yeah, one of the things that I do when I walk into another preacher's office is I look at their bookshelf. And, um, and I, I'll be honest, I judge them. And um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's one preacher in particular whose shelf is completely empty except for... Um, some, the new interpreter's Bible commentary they got when they were, they were ordained in the 70s. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's important for, for people to dedicate time for study. I tell the clergy here, build time in your calendar. Put it down. Don't schedule appointments. Say you're busy in that period of time to spend time in the Word and really sink down deep. And if there's a conference or something that, that would be of a benefit, 
not just to you, but to the Advent as well, uh, go and do it. Uh, go and do it. Uh, and then if a degree, I mean, uh, we've sent, uh, I mean, Cameron's currently working on a degree. Uh, Gil has done two degrees, degrees and now is working on his third at the Advent. Uh, uh, so, um, you know, it, it's important to me, and I'd love to do something like that, but I just don't have the time. Neighbor. Am I, am I still a Christian even You're, though I don't recycle? Just barely. Just barely. I intend to recycle. Don't we all? <laughs> don't we all? Um, I, I would just say, Andrew, just kind of offering a, a thought as someone who, who got to spend a little bit of time with Zach um, and, and Doug, too, actually, is I just encourage all of you all to, to, one, if you haven't listened to Zach's Lenten talk, to go back and listen to it. And two, to spend some time with him. And having spent some time with him, just one person's opinion personally, I can tell you that I can't imagine any higher being a better fit for the Advent than he was for the things that matter to us. Mm -hmm. um, and it may be that his background is a little different than what we're accustomed to, but going and find something with a background we're more comfortable with might have led to someone who is not the fit for what we need. That theologically, on the things that matter, he is incredible. Um, and, and even in terms of his music background, it's a diverse and skilled background that is an asset to any style of worship, including ours, and it's a home run hire. And so I would just encourage all of you all to, to get to know him, and I think you'll be extraordinarily pleased. Thanks, Oscar. Yeah, and let me just say that when, when Joe left, we weren't looking to hire a Zach Hicks. I mean, we were looking to hire someone ordained in the Episcopal Church, and um, we didn't find someone. Uh, and so, but Zach was just such a, a great fit for us, and the Lord orchestrated it uh, that we were able to call him. Yes, Lauren. Like when they were hiring, I don't know where I heard this story, but when they were hiring you, they said, he said to some group of people, "Do you want the best woman minister, or no. do you want the best minister?" Is that what he said? Yeah, he said something it, it like, "Kind of reminds me want, of that." Do you want? Do you want? Do you want just a woman, or do you want the best that we can hire? Right. It kind of feels like Sometimes that it happens. Them. Like, Heidi was great. Heidi right. was great. Deborah's great. But, you know... You're I mean, close enough. Yeah, and I'm close enough. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's, it's... I mean, there are good ministers. I'm sorry, I keep tripping over this cord. There are ministers out there uh, in the Episcopal Church, but, you know, there's this funny thing happening in the church right now where everybody is really hunkered down. And it's almost that we're being governed by a spirit of fear and nobody wants to go anywhere. And so trying to get them out of those positions is really hard. And trust me, we, we do everything we can to make that happen. But let me just say, you know, um, one of the reasons why we're doing this this morning is um, I, I want you to be able to, to come and, and talk to me if, if you're concerned about something. Uh, you know, we've got lots of little sayings around here in the office. One of them is don't talk about me, talk to me. Uh, and also another one is no parking lot meetings. Uh, Ed Salmon, after he left to be after Bishop of South Carolina, he went to um, Neshota House, and he did this at Neshota House and at All Saints Chevy Chase when he went to be the interim rector there. And he took a bulletin board, and he turned it into the rumor board. And if he heard a rumor in the parish or in the seminary, he put it up in print on the board. And he said, I'm not taking it down until the person who started it confesses. And then... If it said, Andrew Pearson said, Zach Hicks is a terrible hire, he'd put the name up. He'd put the name up. And until somebody came forward and fessed up and said, yes, I'm sorry, I started that. Uh, it, now, I'm not going to do this. Uh, 
but, uh, but it's a good idea. Um, uh, so, I mean, one of the amazing things about the Advent is that we are a big church, but it's amazing how it does have a family feel. I mean, we see each other and we're part of one another's lives, and so I hope that uh, if you are concerned about something uh, and you need your uh, fears assuaged or confirmed, um, just come talk to me. Uh, so this is my attempt at having a hundred conversations at one time, uh, if, if you're worried about that. Anything else? Steve. He can get away with ZachHicks.com. If I got AndrewPearson.com, y'all would laugh me in the street. Like, you're an idiot. So, All right, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.